Welcome to Kessid. Welcome those who are online streaming with us. We're so excited that you're here. My name's Danny. Uh, I want to explain for those of you who are brand new just a little bit of what's going on. We're in a series right now called Melodia. And Melodia is like a piece of music, a, a melody, something that represents a certain genre is how we've been using it. And every single week for about the past six weeks, we've started our service with a different genre of music then given a little history on it and kind of use that as an illustration around the idea that we all come from different melodias. We all have different worldviews. We all are still called, in spite of those worldviews and melodias, to love one another, but that's not always very easy. And so every week we ask, and it, it's a little uncomfortable, but it's supposed to be. First, who enjoyed the song we just played? You would say, that is definitely my jam. This just became my church. I will never leave, and I am committed. And how many people were like, I might be submitting my letter of resignation from Kesset. I can't believe we just played that hairband garbage. <laughs> what just happened to the Holy Spirit? Where did he go? Did any, any no? <laughs> Putting some words in your mouth. But the idea is that we are playing stuff that is just in contrast to some people and in great alignment with others. Because we live in a world where there are so many opportunities for us to discover and discuss contrast and alignment with other people. And yet we are supposed to be able to do that in a loving way, in a conversational way, and in a curious way. And so that has been what the series is about. I'm excited you're here. I want to say that uh, today we're going to talk about prayer, as, uh, as the song kind of probably leaned into. And I want to admit that I think of all the talks that I've given so far, this particular one I think is probably the most complicated because of how prayer has been used to both uh, bless people and hurt people and sometimes at the same time. There's all kinds of baggage that comes with prayer. And baggage, by the way, isn't always a bad word. You get, sometimes you get baggage and go to Hawaii with your, with your spouse and you're like, this is amazing. So glad I brought all my good baggage. And then sometimes you, you, you have really negative baggage and you're like, that doesn't belong to me. And people are like, oh no, that's yours, sir. That's yours. And so prayer uh, comes with that. So whether you are, uh, let's say you're at the beginning of your spiritual journey, like you don't even know what the heck we're talking about. You're just spiritually curious. Uh, this is a good space for you and a good space to start because I think you have some kind of concept of what prayer is or has been in your life. You know, like before you get in a car accident and you yell, oh God, right? Those, those of you in the room, that's the only time you've ever prayed. Then we have the full other spectrum of prayer, which is, Prayer that is intimate and real and beautiful and critical to uh, your daily walk with the Lord. 
and then you've probably got a little bit of folks in between. So, uh, so we're going to take this thing head on, and I think it's going to be a, a beautiful time to spend about the next 30 minutes together, and we're going we're gonna to see what God does with it. Amen? Amen. Cool. So let me give you a little bit of a song history. Uh, this song is called Living on a Prayer. It's an American rock song by the band Bon Jovi. The single was released in 1986. So that, no, we got some, whoo, like that was a good year? Is that a good year for you? That's cool. Uh, it was well received by both rock and pop radio, and its music video was given heavy rotation at MTV, giving the band their first number one on the Billboard mainstream rock chart and their second consecutive number one Billboard Hot 100. Living on a Prayer is the band's signature song topping fan-voted lists and recharting around the world decades after its release. The original 45 RPM single, 45 RPM, how many people had it? Just beyond, yeah. Whole section up here of John Bon Jovi fans, like crazy right up there. These people down here just want us to move past this point in the, in the message. Uh, 800,000 copies were sold of the, uh, the 45. And uh, in 2013, the song was certified triple platinum for over 3 million digital downloads. The official music video has over 680 million views on YouTube as of June 2020. The song deals with the way that two kids, Tommy and Gina, face life struggles. John Bon Jovi noted, and how their love and ambitions get them through the hard time. And so the idea of the song and the idea of today's talk is that when everything else falls apart, according to Scripture, you're supposed to be able to lean on prayer. But, but what is it? And how does it work? And what isn't it? And if it's supposed to be so important, why aren't all my prayers answered? And so on. And so that's a little bit what we're going to wrestle with. Let me say this too, because this is such a, such a deep and rich topic that we are going to offer a study here soon that you saw in the announcements around the book, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And uh, it's going to be powerful and it's going to be important. So there's more information at the Welcome Center uh, out there if you're interested in that, and we'll have more announcements to follow. But I think the, the title of the book is actually probably uh, very telling when it comes to this topic, because what prayer for some reason does, or maybe what it has done and it's doing less now, is it takes people that, uh, that were one way, and all of a sudden in prayer, especially super religious prayer, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but it turns them into someone else, or at least it has. And I want to be careful with this because this happened to me going, uh, growing up in church where uh, I was told basically that all the prayer warriors in the church like had direct access to God. And so whenever they prayed about something in my life or if they saw some behavior in my story that didn't fit, they would go pray to God and then come tell me about the word of the Lord and how I was supposed to change the direction I was living or how I was living. And I couldn't argue about it because they said they had prayed about it and God had told them. And it, it was a really hard space for me for a long time because as, as I look back now, uh, I think that they had other agendas. And I don't think they were evil agendas. I just, I think people uh, saw something in me that they, they wanted to foster and they wanted to encourage. And I was, I was one of those uh, kids in youth group that really enjoyed youth group and I enjoyed speaking and presenting and all those things. But instead of kind of, uh, I don't know, coming alongside and, and encouraging me to maybe remove certain behaviors, they would say, God wants you to stop doing that, Danny. He told me last night in a dream. And I was like, what? Like, God cares I drive too fast? That's crazy. Like, what was the dream? You know, I, and then it was just this all, just this kind of complicated dance that I had with prayer people for a long time. And so I started to develop my own prayer life, and I'm here today to share with you that uh, my approach to prayer is very different than a lot of people's. And so I just want to create space in the room. Wherever you're at on that spectrum, I've been telling you, you and your approach to prayer, as long as it's biblically based in just a few areas, you can stay in that approach and you can hear from God as well. You should always, when people tell you what God's telling them about you, you should always go and base that back on Scripture. Even pastors, even preachers, even me. You and your relationship with God are yours and his, and they belong, and they're special. And so just be aware of that. Be, be sensitive to that. And, uh, and I say that not to diminish my authority or, or minimize pastors or church, but to say that we're just people doing the very best we can to, to read this book and to hear from the Holy Spirit. And I guess I was back in the back watching you guys worship, and I got a strong sense 
that this particular room more than any other has had some people wounded by this topic and a strong sense that this particular room more than the other two I've preached at have people that haven't engaged in prayer at all. And I'm challenged by being able to speak to both those groups, but it's not my job. It's what the Holy Spirit does. So, so I trust him, and I'm excited for you to, uh, to hear from him. Amen? By the way, the Lord just told me somebody's driving too fast in this room right now, so just whoever, whoever you are, whoever you are, you need to slow it down, all right? In the name of Jesus. All right, so here's the most basic definition of prayer. Prayer is talking to God. So that's like prayer 101. Talking to God, having conversation with God. This means, and this is important, that prayer is not meditation, passive reflection. It is not either of those things. It's important to meditate. We meditate on scripture. We meditate on what's going on in our world. We reflect on maybe what we're learning in therapy or something about a good book that that has kind of enlightened us to something. But we don't pray to scripture. We don't pray to to our process with the therapist. We don't pray to emotional health. We pray and have conversations to God. And so we can meditate on what we're hearing from the Lord or what we're experiencing, but prayer itself is having access to God. It is the communication of the human soul with the Lord who created the soul. That's what it is at its core. And it's important, and it's really, really spectacular when it's done well. Prayer is the primary way for believers in Jesus Christ to communicate their emotions and desires with God and to fellowship with him. This also means that prayer can be audible or silent, private or public, formal or informal. This is, this is so important because I have had people try to teach me how to pray, and I've had people ask me to teach them how to pray, as if the only way to pray is on the stage with a microphone or in a group, kind of bold and eloquent and with all the right words to say. And, and, and if we're being really authentic, some of the strongest prayer warriors, the people who I know are before God, uh, really lifting up causes, really lifting up concerns, are people that I've never heard pray out loud. I know it because they tell me, but they're built to pray in a different way. Now, that doesn't mean that if God calls you or you feel a nudge to pray for someone that you shouldn't try and pray out loud for them, even if it's messy, even if it's sloppy. It's not enough, I think, in my heart to go, hey, God told me to pray for you. Oh, really? Yeah, come here and put your arm around somebody and then just stand there quietly looking into their eyes. (laughs) Just awkward like don't worry, I'm praying inside like Danny said I could at that message. And the person just sitting there like, can I, can I hear what you're praying? Like, no, I don't. It's not how God made me. You know, it's just, I'm, I'm a, what they call a creeper prayer. That's what we're doing right That's what we're doing right now. That's not, that's not appropriate. That's not appropriate. So you should, you should practice. You should, you should try. But, okay, the goal is not to become something you're not, and you are valuable where you're at. I, we do, when we do a calls to faith around here, we start off all of our calls to faith with God, it's me. And that entire prayer came from a young man that came down, said he had never prayed before out loud. This was probably, man, this was like 18 years ago. He was in our youth group. He was probably 15 years old. He said he was mad at God. He didn't believe in him. And I said, well, how can you believe in, you know, be mad at a God you don't believe in? And he was like, oh, <gasps> my rage makes me faithful. I mean, it was awesome, right? It was awesome. And I said, you should tell him. And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, you should tell God how you feel. Tell him you don't believe in him. And he sat there. He goes, I've never prayed out loud. I said, however you want to pray, just pray. And he got really quiet. And it took a long time, like 45 seconds, which is a long time to wait for someone to pray. And then he started off with, God, it's me. And it tore my heart out. Because he he was in such a vulnerable space, he didn't even have to enter his name into the conversation And he shared with God about all his frustration and all his disappointment and his parents' divorce. And ever since then, ever since then, when we pray, hey, we're going to give you a time to come before the Lord and meet him, every time I start out and say, God, it's me. Because I think it's such a beautiful thing. And that came from someone who had never prayed out loud. So the goal is not to pray out loud, yet praying out loud is important. Don't be a creeper prayer person. (laughs) This is probably my favorite deep and rich theological example of prayer. It's from J.C. Lambert. It says, Christian prayer, in its full New Testament meaning, is prayer addressed, three things, to God as the Father, in the name of Christ as mediator, and through the enabling grace of the indwelling spirit. That's kind of a, 
that's sort of a prayer 301 concept of what prayer is and how it works. So let me break each of those down. The first one is God the Father. All prayer must be offered in faith to God. This is authoritative intimacy. This is recognizing that you are praying to the one who is in control, the one who is is over all, that that is where the authority lies, that you are not the authority, that you have desires and hopes and dreams, and that you can have connection with him, but he is the ultimate authority. And so that's one of the very first things. The next true, full New Testament kind of concept of prayer is that we pray through Christ as mediator. In the name of the Lord Jesus, this is relational intimacy. This is recognizing that you don't get to just roll into God's throne room and be like, hey, what's up? We need to have a conversation. That's what Jesus came to allow. That's the story of the cross. That's the story of Christ. That's why he's so very important. When he died, that that curtain was torn between the outer room and the inner room, and it symbolized this access that we all have through relationship, through Jesus to God who is the Father. And then the last one is the enabling grace of the indwelling spirit, and that is in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is advocational intimacy. That is kind of this understanding that that as we pray, sometimes our humanity kind of is part of it. Actually, all times our humanity is part of it, but sometimes our humanity is louder than that part of us that's trying to give something to God, and we just don't know what to say. And we're like, God, like, (laughs) look at this. And I feel like sometimes people feel like, well, I'm just really struggling in my prayer life. I feel really stunted. I feel really stumped. I just, I don't know what to pray for, but I know something's wrong. And I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, that's enough. Like, just create some space and spend some time and be like, God, (laughs) the Holy Spirit is really, really good at cracking the safe in your heart. He's really good at being like, hold on, one click to the left, one click to the right. Oh, I know what you're dealing with. And It's amazing when you finally have peace that sometimes you know exactly how to pray and sometimes you don't, and those are both beautiful postures of prayer. This is so important for us that we understand these things, that we're not just meditating, we're not just reading Scripture and thinking, we are actually saying, God, you you have the authority. Jesus, you allow the way for me to communicate, and Holy Spirit, you line me up so that I can sit in a different space than I am and share things I don't even know how to share. This is an important part of prayer. And I think for a lot of us, it's something that, uh, that we miss. The most common question I get from, from you and have over the years about prayer when it comes to really trying to dive into this is quite simple. And it's how can I have my prayers answered by God? And I, and I love this. I, I, I don't diminish this. I don't think that, um, that this is less than or a newbie thing. I think everybody throughout the year has a season where they're like, God, what do you want? Because I need that. And we negotiate. We negotiate better behavior. We negotiate uh, maybe a little bit of uh, giving. We negotiate a little bit of serving. We're like, hey, I'm going to go help out, God, but can you just, you know, can you hook me up over there? We, we operate this way because it's how we operate with each other. And I, I, I'm not here to give a relational sermon fully about one another, but this is very much so how we deal with one another at a core level. We look at people and we consider, if we're not careful, we consider what can we get from them and what will they need from us. And we dance that way through our community, and God comes to turn that entire thing upside down, and he says, no, you don't need to do that with me. All you have to do is engage and be authentic and be present. Now, people who don't fully kind of get their, their uh, minds around this idea around God not answering the prayers how you want, then understand that any prayer request offered to God that is not granted is an unanswered prayer. Hence the song. Many songs, actually, about all the unanswered prayers that, that God didn't provide. However, this is an incorrect understanding of prayer. I'm going to put something on the screen in a second. I'm going to let it sit there for just a, just a second because this is really how you should understand, according to the Bible, how God answers prayers. It's not pretty. It's not meant to be. And it's not from me. It's from the Lord. So just go ahead and look at this slide. Every prayer you send up to God is answered by him. Sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it's no. Or sometimes it's wait. And that is a very very um, 
difficult thing to embrace when you aren't just praying for a raise at work, you're praying for a loved one or a child that's sick or a situation that, that is, that is life-altering and you are just beyond um, yourself and you are trusting the authority of God and the relationship of Jesus and you're trusting the Holy Spirit to share your heart and God just doesn't seem to come through. And yet the best or most important part about this quote is this last section right here, according to his will. That's the part that you have to spend just a minute in if you want to understand the rest of it. Praying according to God's will is praying for things and asking for things that honor and glorify God and or praying for what the Bible clearly reveals God's will to be. So it's praying within the character of God, the movement of God, and what Scripture shows God to be. It's not always praying for that raise at work. It's not always praying for this thing that you feel would make your life better. It's often praying instead to God to understand his will. John 5, 14 and 15 says this, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. When we are praying to God, one of the very first things I, I try to encourage people to do, and I try my hardest, and I'm going to be really careful and not try to pretend like this is all stuff I do well. Like, I'm like, here's what you need to do in order to have an amazing prayer life like me. That's not true. Okay, I struggle. I, I, this, I needed this sermon as much as, as anybody in this room. But one of the things that has helped me, especially when it came to these critical prayers, was first, before I pray, for God to do this thing I want, even with authority and relationship and the advocator of the comforting Holy Spirit, I pray that God would grant me wisdom to know what I should be praying for. Because too many times, Danny's just praying for what Danny wants and what Danny needs and what Danny's version of the world should be. And Danny has a warped melodia just like you. Okay, Danny is probably way too much Metallica and not, not enough John Bon Jovi. And those of you in the room who are John Bon Jovi are like, how offensive. But like a gentleman said, uh, you know, last week, I don't even know who that Metallica band was. I asked my daughter. She had to explain it to me. I had no idea. And yet he loves our church and loves our story. And he has his own version and I have my own version. And too many times we pray through our melodias and through our versions. And then we're frustrated when we don't get the answer we want when we should have first stepped back and asked God, hey, what do you want me to pray for here. I'm hurting. I'm sad. I'm bothered. I'm broken. We can know God's will when we ask for his promises. God promises to give us wisdom when we ask for it. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So if you want to pray for something, the first thing according to the Bible is to pray that you have wisdom to understand what it is you're supposed to be praying for. And in the midst of that wisdom, you can cry out to God. You can lay out your burdens. You can do all of those things. But when you're praying for an outcome, a specific outcome, a specific way in which you need God to work, the most biblical and appropriate posture you can take is one of seeking God's will and being laid upon, right, by his spirit in order to then go before the throne, to go before people in your community, and then pray for this thing that's happening inside your life, knowing I spent time and God asked me to lay this. God laid it upon my heart to pray for this thing. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to get the yes you want or the no you want or the wait you want. It just means that you're going to be able to understand how it is that you get to come before God. Authority, relationship, and advocate. Now, here's where I believe many of us have a gap in our understanding of prayer. And this is where uh, the room gets a little uncomfortable for some of us. Because sometimes, uh, sometimes we take recipes like this, like the one I was just given, that's very biblically based. I could teach a curriculum around this. I think we could build a four or five week series around this. I, I, would, I would back everything that I've taught so far. But here's the problem. Sometimes we take that recipe and we bake that, that, uh, that prayer cake and then we say like, I did it. And we become formulaic in our prayer system. 
and we suddenly begin to be people who just execute prayers. Like, I prayed for wisdom. I prayed to God the authority. I prayed through Jesus the Son. I uh, trusted the Holy Spirit for the things I don't understand. I uh, crossed my T's. I dotted my I's. I signed the contract. I went to church on Sunday. I tithed. I haven't said any bad words this week, and I did my best to drive below the speed limit. <laughs> That's basically my, my week in a nutshell. So, this is what happens, though, is then we start just like being, well, I guess I'm good to go. And here's the truth of it. You can do every single thing that I have taught here today up to this point and still find yourself completely out of alignment with God and so experiencing hindered prayers. And it's because the Bible says, along with this way in which you approach God, you also have to make sure you are being authentic with exactly who you are in God's presence. So let me give you a couple intimate things um, that I feel might be important for you to understand, especially if you're a long-term Christian or somebody who's like, I think I'm going to pick this up. Because if you don't understand these things, it won't matter how well you discipline yourself around prayer, you will still live in a space that you can't connect like you should. The first one is this. The most obvious hindrance to a potent prayer life is the presence of unconfessed sins in the heart of the one who is praying. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. David concurred, knowing from experience that God is far from those who try to hide their sins. Psalm 66.18, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now, there is a level of, of kind of on-the-nose interpretation of this, which is this idea that if you're living an entirely secret, duplicit life, if you're a whole radically different person, and yet you can perform perfectly to the recipe of successful uh, prayer mandates that have been displayed here today, I hope you realize you clearly have a hindered prayer life. That you, you can't, like, trick God into, like, answering and, and, and listening to your prayers. You're like, nope, I did it all. I prayed exactly as I should and then you're an entirely other person other than Sunday morning between 11 and 12.30. That, that doesn't work. Now, it doesn't mean you're not welcome here, and it doesn't mean that part of your story won't be unraveling some of that, because that's exhausting, by the way. It's exhausting to live and be multiple people. Little side note around people who live duplicit lives, because I get to see this from a, from a pastoral perspective, they usually live more than two. They usually have three, four, five different versions of themselves. They're so used to just sort of uh, becoming a chameleon in the situation in the room, that they're a person at work, they're a person at home, they're a person at church, they're a person when they're with their not-so-strong friends, and they're a different person when they're with their healthy friends. It's exhausting, and it doesn't last, and it always, always, always implodes. Always. So maybe part of the reason you're here today is to pray for wisdom and start unraveling some of that stuff in your life. Now, let me also say... This might not be about some sort of just uh, on-the-nose, unconfessed sin. Maybe you're like, nope, I'm pretty holistic. I'm honest with my depravity and my stuff, and yet I also know I'm loved by God. But here's the thing. Unconfessed sin is not always about sharing a secret. Sometimes, some hindrances can often sit quietly within a God-opposing lifestyle. This could be that you're so secure in how well you've done and so solid in how much cushion you have around your story that you don't really need God, and he's just another insurance policy for you. Yeah, there's four or five of you in here right now. There's a couple of you in here right now, and you're like, this was not supposed to be a therapy session. I do not like this. But you're doing so well that you don't need God at all. And you're like, I'd love to figure out how to add this prayer Claws on the back end of my insurance policy just to make sure I'm good with Jesus too because I'm good with my wife, I'm good with work, I'm good with my kids. Matter of fact, I'm pretty stinking good. I could probably help these people out a bit. That's a whole lot of scaffolding about you. And it's not true. And it'll fall apart. And you can either choose to tear it down, which is what I recommend, or especially if you love the Lord, lovingly, with grace I let you know, he will come and rip it down for you. That's how he works. He loves you that much. He's not going to let you live that fake life. You make the choice. Love you so much. Number two, 
Another major hindrance to effective prayer is a spirit of unforgiveness towards others. When we refuse to forgive others, a root of bitterness grows up in our hearts and chokes out our prayers. How can we expect God to pour out his blessing upon us, undeserving sinners, if we harbor hatred and bitterness towards others? This is basically all wrapped up in Matthew 18, the story of the unforgiving servant who goes before the king. He's scared to death because he owes $100,000. The king says, I'm going to throw your whole family in debtor's prison and you and your business and your whole world. You're going to live there the rest of your life because you'll never pay this off. And he falls on his face and he says, please, oh king, have mercy on me. Please don't do this to me and my family. I'm so sorry. And the king's heart breaks and he says, forgive him his debt. And they have a celebration and he sends him on his way. And then three days later, that servant's walking through the village and he sees another servant that owes him $100 and he grabs him by the neck and he chokes him out and he says, pay me all the money you owe me. And the servant says, please, please, please don't do this. And he, the, the, the one who's owed the money says, I'm gonna throw your family in debtor's prison and he actually does. And then the king hears this and calls him forward and he says, because of your behavior and because you didn't forgive them, I won't forgive you. We are called to forgive people. We are called to release people, but I want to be very clear, and this is another sermon at another time. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to re-engage with people who bring trauma into your story. It means you relinquish the debt and you give it to God. You let him deal with what's owed. You let him deal with the consequences, and you live with peace and contentment that God sees all and knows all. But if you are so busy harboring hatred for other people and kind of praying hatred on other people, then just be aware it might be difficult for you then to go before God and be like, I hope you love me even though I make mistakes. It's clear the Bible lets us know that we are treated how we treat others. Lastly, a major hindrance to effective prayer is unbelief and doubt. This does not mean because we come to God convinced that he would grant our request as if he is somehow obligated to do so and a genie. It just means that we recognize that God is and always has been the authority, that he is and always has been the relationship, and that he is and always had been the one who's advocating for us. And we trust with all we can, as we are, that he has our best interest in mind. It also means that we get to pray with our whole humanity, doubt included. It doesn't mean that we go before the Lord and like we have this perfect faith and we're like, God, you're going to do it. I know you can. I believe in you, Lord. And then it doesn't. And we're like, well, you must have not heard me. Really busy week. God, you can do it. Well, I need to better perform. I need to, I need to better uh, check off the recipe. I need to better bake my prayer cake. That's not what it means. <laughs> That's not what it means. It means that you go before God as your whole person, scared to death, or unsure, or angry, or mad, or doubting, but that you bring all of that to him, and that you believe that in spite of the stuff going on in your world and inside your heart, he sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. You have faith with all of you, not just faith with the Sunday you. That's, that's the, the most refined prayer people I've spent my life around are people who are praying to God from all of them, from sickness, from health, from wealth, from challenge, from disagreement, from community, from being alone. They are just always the same before him. And they have faith that in spite of that part of them that, that causes them sometimes to feel distant and even unable to pray, that God still shows up and blesses them. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Seeking God means sometimes you get lost along the way, by the way. Okay, that's just what it means. We talked about it last week. Sometimes you're crawling on the ground in the dark. You're still seeking. You're still moving. And my hope would be that you are still praying. Fortunately, I'll put this on the screen, all these prayer hindrances can be dealt with at once by coming to God in prayers of confession and repentance. John 1 9, 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we can own this space, own it for ourselves, and that, that's not like own control, it's like own, like, yeah, that's me. That's definitely me, and that, and that, and that, and that might be me. If we can own that space, then we can be authentic with the Lord about what we are praying for, what we don't know if we should be praying for, what we don't even know about that we should be praying for, and the wisdom to actually 
be able to sit in that room with the Lord and just be authentic about all the feelings we have we can't even put words to. I like this particular verse that illustrates this. This is one of my life verses for me, and it ties to another one in Isaiah. Psalm 24, 3, 4 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? So who shall find God? Who shall enter his throne room? This is the description. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Okay, first off, the Bible's clear. Nobody has clean hands. Nobody, okay? Nobody has a pure heart. Nobody is able to live their life not lifting a piece of their soul up to what is false. And I guarantee you, probably just this week, you said something you shouldn't have said to somebody. So what in the world does a verse like this mean? Who possibly can have conversation and relationship with God? Who possibly can have access to God? The people that pray to the authority through the relationship of Jesus with the advocating power of the Holy Spirit. Those are the people, the ones that embrace the entirety of God's story and the entirety of who they are. The verse this ties to is in Isaiah. It's the one where he says, though I am red as crimson, you can make me as fresh as brand new snow. He recognizes that God wants me in the room with him, but that I have to recognize I don't belong in the room with him. And then we we seek him. We climb that mountain with our filthy hands and our broken mouths and our world that's all kinds of messed up. We've got our warped melodia and all that stuff as we start to own it and unravel it and the scaffolding falls off and all of a sudden the music plays and someone else is grossed out by our, our desires and our lifestyle. And, but we admit that these things in our life could be shored up and could be different and there's probably areas I don't even know about that I'm hiding from God. As I spend time in that space, then suddenly the Holy Spirit begins to advocate and then suddenly Jesus begins to connect with our story and all the stuff that he went through and suddenly I I recognize the pain he went through on the cross and the blood that was shed and the body that was broken and all of a sudden I'm like oh that's that's me up there and then the authority of God comes and we see look how powerful and beautiful and incredible and he's not raging against me through Jesus and the Holy Spirit he's loving me and he's cleansing me And my crimson falls away, and my snow shines, and I say amen, and I go to work, and I do it all again tomorrow. And people look at my life, and they see me trying, and they see me loving, and they see me overcoming, and they see me suffering in a beautiful way, and they ask how, and I say, I pray. And it makes no sense to them because it barely makes sense to you. (laughs) Because you feel like a first grader when you pray, right? You feel like you're just trying to figure this thing out and it doesn't, you're kind of embarrassed and you're standing in front of the class, which is the God, the triune God, the, you do your best and he grabs a hold of you and he goes, that was awesome, I'm so proud of you. And you got a lot to learn and a long ways to go, but you sense that love and that peace and that beauty So you pray more and you pray more and you pray more. Sometimes they're little five-minute prayers. Sometimes it's a whole half hour sitting in your backyard looking at the stars. Sometimes it's why you're in traffic, trying not to hurt somebody that cuts you off. Can I get an amen? (laughs) That's why you never have a Jesus sticker on the back of your car if you drive like me. That's just, that's never good. It's like... (laughs) My wife said, we should put this in. Absolutely not. That's, that's not going to go well for anybody, especially Jesus. So I, but you live in that space, and you, you move in that space, and you experience who God is, and you meet him. And so I want to offer you into a time like that, a time to reflect in that way. You You have communion, it was given to you. And in the communion, there's a little bread and a little juice. And I'm going to read to you before you take it, the communion verse. And then we're going to go into a song. And then sometime during the song, when you feel ready, you're going to take the bread and you're going to take the juice. But let me read the verse first as the worship team comes out. Jesus, or no, Paul said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you today are a Christ follower, if you've accepted Christ in your heart, I want you to take the bread and take the juice. And during this next small time of, of worship and prayer, which is what we're going we're gonna to sit in now, I want you to, when you're ready, take the bread that represents the body of Christ, take the juice that represents the blood of Christ, and recognize the sacrifice and how that allowed this prayer life that we're talking about today to be offered to you. And then maybe during the song, while you're sitting or standing or doing whatever it is, maybe you just, you just try, if you've never, just try a little prayer. Maybe you say, God, it's me. Maybe you raise your hands. Maybe you bow your head. Maybe you fall to your knees. I don't know. It's your space. It's your prayer. It's, it's your time. But in that communion, in that community with God, I ask that you would ask him for wisdom, that you would ask him for, for knowledge around what you should pray about, that you would allow him through the Holy Spirit to enlighten you, to awaken you, to convict you. Maybe you ask him to remove some of that scaffolding or to merge those multiple areas of your life into one whole person so that you can stop the legacy that came before you. So that your kids can have different. I pray for you that God would meet you, that God would find you, and that you would hear from him now. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we create some space in this moment, I ask that you would do what only you can do. I don't ask for more or less. I just ask for enough. I think there's people in this room who need to meet you. I think there's people in this room who need to confess to you, people in this room who need to worship you, people in this room who need to ask for forgiveness from you. But most of all, Lord, every person in this room needs to hear from you. So would you take this space and receive it as an offering as we lift this time of communion, worship, and prayer up before you. Amen. We bow our hearts, we bend our knees, O oh, Spirit come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things, O oh, Lord we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands, and give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another. going to take a purpose deliberately from you. It's going to take action. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take work. See, all relationships, they all take work. Just as it does with a relationship with your father. He can chase you and chase you and chase you, but if you don't, Look to him and work in your relationship with him to seek his face. It's not going to happen. So are you going to be 
a seeker deliberately? Are you going to search for God? Are you going to stand when it's time to stand and confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord? Are you going to do that? God, let us seek your face. No matter what trial we go through, God, let us deliberately, let us work on our relationship with you and only you, God. You know, as I say this, I speak to myself. God, I want to be a seeker. I don't want to be lukewarm. I want to be on fire. I want to search and seek you, God nothing else really matters. God, let me be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face. Oh God, oh God of a Jacob, oh God, let me be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face. God, you're moving in this place. We know you're here, God. We gotta accept it, God. We gotta seek you.
even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop. Come on, every voice, sing that out, even when. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You're working, you never stop, you never stop working, you never stop, you never stop, no. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll see you next time.